Hello and welcome to a special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Today we will take a trip to Ireland for a celebration of priests. We'll rebroadcast the conversation with Father Eugene O'Hagan of the priests, who are our featured artists. And we will also replay a conversation I had with Tim Campbell about the work of the St. Patrick's Center. But we begin with an opening commentary from June 2009. I've been really lucky that in my life, I've known great priests. I think I can only think of one priest that we had in our parish when I was growing up who was a bit nasty, but all the others were super wonderful men. And I've had the chance to meet a lot of priests, priests, bishops, and cardinals. Most of them are great people. Last week, Pope Benedict XVI declared this year a jubilee year for priests, and he named St. John Vianney, patron saint of parish priests, the universal patron of priests of this year, which will end on June 19th, 2010. Now this is great. We need to celebrate the priesthood and our priests. The media will focus on the less than 1% who have fallen short of their vocation. But in truth, there are hundreds of thousands of others who are wonderful men dedicated to God and the church. May we begin this year by remembering these guys who have given everything up for God and for God's people, who work 14, 16, or more hours a day, sometimes seven days a week, who visit the sick, who teach in schools, who sometimes have three or four parishes. Let's remember those who tirelessly bring the sacraments to the people, no matter what their circumstances, rain or shine, in extreme heat, those who feed the hungry in soup kitchens, those who visit, those in, in prison, and they help those trying to enter integrate themselves back into society. They do all this and still have time to manage a parish and be there for all their parishioners. Let's especially remember those who've been persecuted and even who've died for God and for the church. Let's remember to pray for them and to help them, to support them and visit them. Thank them for all the work they've done for us, for being the face of Christ on earth. For so often, their work goes unnoticed. And after all, they are human, just like us. And may our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal high priest, be with all priests and bishops as they continue to be heralds of hope, reconciliation, and peace for the world. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. That was an opening commentary that first aired in June 2009. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. This is a special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Here now are the priests with their rendition of amazing grace.
Those were the priests with Amazing Grace. Hi, I'm Chris Dimitrenko, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Irish and non-Irish alike gathered last Wednesday to celebrate the Feast of St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland, and inspiration for the St. Patrick's Centre, which is not just an interactive exhibition about the life and legacy of St. Patrick, and one of the top tourist destinations in Ireland, but it's also a non-profit organization that provides reconciliation education programs to thousands of children in Northern Ireland, as well as cross-border and international youth programs. Tim Campbell is the director of the St. Patrick's Centre, and he joins us now on the phone from Downpatrick, Ireland. Uh, Tim, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Pedro, thank you so much for your very kind invitation. Uh, to be with you, and what what a wonderful week that we had with the Feast of St. Patrick. Yes, I know. Now, tell me something. Um, St. Patrick, I- he's celebrated all around the world. Why Why is this? What is it about this this saint, uh, his legacy, that, that, that means that he's uh, remembered, maybe for the, for, the, w- for the wrong reasons, but remembered all over the world? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, St. Patrick is remembered because he brought Christianity to Ireland uh, at a time when Christianity wasn't here. We think of Ireland as being the land of saints and scholars. He's the original saint, but he's also the original scholar in that he brought the written word to Ireland. And oh, if, we yeah. think of, if we think of history as being the written word rather than the oral tradition, and mm-hmm. Irish people are famous for having what we call um, a, a, the gift of the gab or, or a bit of the blarney. <laughs> right. Um, we, we had an oral tradition, but Patrick was the first who wrote his message down, and a very spiritual message, and he's accredited for bringing Christianity to certainly the northern part of Ireland. And I think what happened was that the, the Christianity that he brought here made Ireland from a, a Celtic a nation to being one which was a, a very solid Christian nation, and then uh, the light of Christianity came from Ireland, yeah. and it was reintroduced to Dark Age Europe. So uh, Patrick began the light that uh, that eventually burned so brightly all over mm-hmm. uh, Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Now you did you did mention that you are in Northern Ireland. I, I, I suspect that a lot of people don't realize. Um, or maybe don't even think about the, the, the Republic of Ireland versus Northern Ireland, and you are in the town of Downpatrick, which is in Northern Ireland, and that's where St. Patrick lived, and that's where he's buried, correct? That is correct. We are in the northern part of Ireland. Uh, the island of Ireland is actually divided by jurisdiction in that the northern part, the six counties in Northern Ireland, uh, continue to be ruled within the United Kingdom, uh-huh. uh, whereas the southern uh, part of Ireland uh, is a republic in its own right, um, and uh, I know that many of your listeners uh, will be thinking, well, Northern Ireland is the part where they had the, uh, yes. the troubles and yes. all that stuff. Yes. I have to say, happily, that those days are you know long behind us. There's a whole generation of people who are growing up now who have never seen any of this and never experienced any of it. And recently, Belfast was voted the second safest city in the world oh, after uh, after Tokyo. Wonderful. So, yeah. so it's, it's a beautiful part of the world, and... You are right, there, there is a, an international border that goes through uh, the, the northern part of the island. But these days, you know, you don't really notice it at all. There are no checkpoints or okay. passports or anything okay. like that. And often people arrive here and they, they don't realize that they're actually in just in another part of Ireland. Right. No, thank you for that explanation because you're right. I think most of us outside of Ireland don't really understand. We hear about the struggles or about the struggles of the past and, and, and there's some confusion. Now, your center you run reconciliation workshops. Now, is 
is the reason why you said that there's a new generation of people with a different outlook partly because of reconciliation workshops like yours? Well, you know, the, the one thing that you cannot um, assume uh, in any situation where there has to be people coming together is that, you know, once the Good Friday Agreement, as it was, uh, as it was coined, mm-hmm. was signed and that people came to the table and started talking, that somehow you can assume that reconciliation will automatically, you know, uh, there'll be a happy ever after. Right. Uh, bringing people together is something that continually needs attention mm-hmm. um, and there will always be pockets of people for whom reconciliation is not the, the most favorable option. Okay. So what we, in our part of the world, although there is a generation of people who are growing up who have not firsthand experienced, um, you know, what had happened previously, uh, we continue to have to work very hard for peace and to bring people together. And that is where St. Patrick comes in because uh, St. Patrick is a common denominator. How uh-huh. wonderful to think that his message continues to be relevant uh, in the northern part of Ireland where he he started his mission, uh, where he created the first church in Ireland uh, and where he is buried. But his mission continues uh, here through the St. Patrick Centre and through various other charitable organizations. Right. Now, let, let me just remind our listeners, we're, we're speaking with Tim Campbell. He's the director of the St. Patrick Centre uh, in, in, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Now, tell me, uh, Tim, what uh, w- uh, maybe briefly explain what the workshops are like or what the the programs that you offer um are like sure well we uh, we encourage people to know more about the history of St Patrick um previously i suppose in this part of the world St Patrick is not something that has been mutually recognized as being a celebration for all people mm. so um there's many things that we do here we we have various workshops which where we bring over 5,000 young people together from both traditions to be able to learn about their common Christian heritage. Uh, And as I say, what better role model for modern modern Northern Ireland than than Patrick, someone from Britain who became the patron saint of Ireland. You can't get any more cross-community than that. Um, So we bring them together. We also have a cross-border program that brings people from uh, Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland, the children, together. Okay. And on St. Patrick's Day last Wednesday, when we celebrated in our part of the world, it's a day when it's not a day for politics. It's a day for people coming together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a day when we're trying to encourage people to show uh, Christian charity. Mm-hmm. It's a day when our churches all come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the St. Patrick's Day parade here and the way you celebrate is different to any other part of the world because we have to go out of our way to make sure that it's inclusive for all people. Right. Uh, so we don't fly, for example, the tricolour flag, which represents the Republic of Ireland. We fly St. Patrick's traditional flag, which is a white flag with a red cross on it right. at the parade. Uh, and if you do it that way, it encourages people from all traditions to come together. Um, and I'm also very pleased to say that every year there is a, a walk from the first church in Ireland at Saul. Uh-huh. Um, Saul is Irish for barn. It was in a barn that Patrick created the first church. Okay. And, and that, uh, that site is almost 1,600 years old. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a walk from the first church. People from all faiths and traditions come together. They walk to Down Cathedral, a medieval cathedral where uh-huh. St. Patrick is buried. Uh-huh. And they have a, a cross-community service, which is led by a different um, member of a different faith every year. Uh, and the traditions here are very strong of bringing people together. Uh-huh. Uh, the Dean of Down Cathedral, it's an, it's an Episcopalian church, but the Dean of Down Cathedral has a very strong relationship with Canon Sean Rogan, who is the local parish priest. Okay. Uh, to such an extent, Pedro, that when um, 
dean, the dean's daughter was getting married, the person who gave her away was uh, Canon oh, Sean Rogan. Really, what you a know. great witness to, to the to the reconciliation, I guess. Um, now, people who are not in Ireland are also able to participate in your programs, not just as participants in the cross border. Um, programs, but also through the Friends of St. Patrick. Can you tell us a bit of the, about that? Yeah, well, we had so many people coming to us. We are a registered charity and people were coming and saying we would like to be able to help and support you. And, and one of uh, the people who came to visit us a number of years ago was the Archbishop of uh, Milwaukee, Timothy Dolan. Oh, yeah. And he went back to Milwaukee and he said, you know, I would really like you to be able to come to Milwaukee Irish Fest. And mm. we came to the Irish Festival. We met up with uh, the Archbishop again. We started uh, a chapter there of people with an interest in the northern part of Ireland. And he just wanted to know more. I mean, many people have an interest in Ireland, but the northern part is this little blank area that they don't know much about. Uh-huh. And it's a wonderful part of the world, which is extremely welcoming. The centre hosts, uh, it kind of becomes a base for our friends so that whenever they come to Ireland, they come and visit us and we okay. help them you know, to be able to sort out um, their, their arrangements. But we also have a programme um, where we encourage them to be able to do good works within their own communities. Okay. So part of it, for example, is um, also a young ambassador program. So we've set uh, about seven of these chapters up. We're trying to get one started in Toronto. Mm. Um, and we, it looks like we're making quite good headway to do that. Good. Um, and I visit a couple of times a year. We have a journal that comes out a couple of times a year. And we have a young ambassador program, and that means that a young person from the chapter is chosen to come over to, to this part of the world and to learn about our various traditions and faiths here. And uh, and they go back and they're able to to tell people about what it is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's building a personal relationship, uh, both to St Patrick and to the northern part of Ireland. Yeah, wonderful, and also to encourage them to 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 focus on their own communities. That's a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity, I guess. Tim, that's all the time we have, but uh, I hope that our listeners who are mainly in Canada. Uh, are intrigued by this enough to uh, find out more. So thank you so much for sharing uh, a little bit of what you do with us. That was Tim Campbell, director of the St. Patrick Center. He joined us on the phone from his home in Downpatrick, Northern Ireland. If you want to find out more about the St. Patrick Center or about the Friends of St. Patrick, you can go to their website. That's stpatrickcenter.com. That's the British spelling of center, C-E-N-T-R-E. SaintPatrickCenter.com. That conversation with Tim Campbell first aired in March 2010. Here now are the priests with Tedeum.
was The Priests with Te Deum. Coming up is a conversation with Father Eugene O'Hagan of The Priests, so stay tuned. I'm Sheridan, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. On Friday, February 19th, a number of priests and brothers of the Congregation of Holy Cross, along with members of the Archdiocese of Montreal, assembled at the Consistory Hall of Vatican City to hear Pope Benedict XVI proclaim that their dear brother André will be canonized in Rome on October 17th of this year. And to tell us about this announcement and what this means, we're joined now by Father Charles Corso. Father Corso, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the program. Yes, Pedro. Um, uh, let's start just very basic. Who was... Brother Andre. Uh, brother Andre was a brother of Holy Cross. Uh, he was born in a suburb of Montreal and then came to Montreal to become a Holy Cross brother and uh, was really rather, how should I put this? He, he wasn't good material, they thought at first, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, well, he was virtually illiterate his whole life. Okay. And um, uh, coming to a teaching order uh, meant that they were wondering. Okay. And also his, his constitution his whole life was uh, rather weak, mm-hmm. even though he lived to be 91 years old. However, he came with a letter from his pastor, and the pastor said, I am sending you a saint. So it turns out that he was prophetic. Wow. And, and the reason the pastor said that was Andre loved to pray his whole life. You know, when we, I think most of us pray, it's always with kind of like, eating a salad. It's good for you, so we pray. Right. Andre loved to pray. I mean, he just enjoyed it and did it for hours and hours. So would you say that his... So did he join the congregation with the intention of, of becoming a priest? or, or No, was no. He meant to be... Uh, he intended uh, to be, remain a brother his whole life. The, the brother's vocation is a vocation in the church. Yes. And so uh, he wasn't a failed priest. Yeah, okay, you know, I, I didn't mean that, but sometimes no, people right. have that perception. It's good for Catholics even to, to, to remember that, um, well, uh, a brother is like the male equivalent of a sister. Of a sister. A, re- a lay yes. religious who wants to serve the church. Now, what led to his popularity? Well, <clears throat> he was first assigned to be the, the doorkeeper at uh, a college here, college, which is kind of a high school. Yeah. And um, as the kids would come in through the door and, and their parents, uh, they were just drawn to, to him. He had a magnetic personality. And they began to open up to him as though he were a priest. Uh-huh. And he, uh, God evidently gave Andre the, 
what we call the charism of healing. Uh-huh. Although Andrew is always careful to say, hey, it's God who heals. Who's I don't do anything. Yeah. And so uh, even during his lifetime, there are, were many, many documented um, uh, cases of cures, uh, even cures at a distance. You know, he said, uh, Brother Andre said, well, don't, don't worry about your mo- mother in, in whatever. She's, she's better already. And, and, and it was true. It was true. And one of his friends said, how did you know that? And he says, well, because she was cured. Hmm. <laughs> it was as though the, that idea came into his mind, and because of his trust in God, he could affirm it. And just matter of fact. Yeah. Um, he was instrumental in the building of the, the oratory, the St. Joseph's? St. Joseph's Oratory. He w- when he was the doorkeeper uh, at this college, he looked across the street, and he saw... Mount Royal, Montreal. Yeah. And at this point, uh, at that time, there was no building on it. So um, he would go over to pray. And gradually, lay people came with him, and they built a little shrine, and then they built a little tiny chapel, 8 by 15. And, the, and, the, and there was an altar inside, but the people would, would kneel on the grass. And finally, they said, we need something more permanent. Right. And Andre said, well, I think, I think so, too. We need to build the biggest shrine in the world dedicated to St. Joseph. Huh. Now, here's this little brother. He was, he was tiny man, um, frail, but yet with great spiritual energy. Yeah. And because Andre was so close to ordinary people, he surrounded himself with lay people. They just took up and went with it and found the money to to, to, to begin building of this huge place that we have today. And even though an oratory in Catholic terminology is usually considered a small little mm-hmm. chapel, uh, because we started small, we've kept the name, even though today we have a grand basilica. I, I was going to ask you that, that, why isn't it called St. Joseph's Basilica? Right, well, it is. <laughs> it is a basilica, <laughs> but we've kept the name oratory uh, yeah. out of respect for what happened. And as a matter of fact, we still have the original little chapel. It's been renovated over the years, and, and it's actually moved around our territory several times, but we still have it and preserve it so that people can visit it to see where Andre worshipped. Where, where it started. Yeah. Um, just a note for anyone that might be joining in the program at this time. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. My name is Pedro, and we're speaking with Father Charles Corso of the Congregation of Holy Cross. We're talking about Blessed, blessed Brother Andre, who... Uh, will be canonized and we're sure that he's a saint already we're just declaring him official um, on October 17th now father tell me what is the significance of this announcement not just for you but for Montreal and for Uh, Canada um, well uh, um, brother Andre is the uh, the first male saint declared in Canada there have been a couple of saints uh, declared but they've been women yes Um, so he's the first male I think the reason people are drawn to Brother Andre is, first of all, what I referred to before, his ordinariness. Uh-huh. He was a homespun person his whole life, utterly confident in God in, in the simplest way. Uh, and, and, in fact, I, I've called him an unmystic. He didn't have mystical visions or anything. He just talked to people mm-hmm. and, and could read people. He often would say, you know... Um, I recommend that you go to confession and to Holy Communion mm. and then come back to see me. Right. Um, because he, he could read people's souls. 
So this, I think this ordinary, everydayness is what drives people toward him. The second thing is uh, a certain resilience and, uh, and um, a doggedness. Um, once they conceived of building the oratory, Andre just kept at it and kept at it despite all kinds of, of um, uh, barriers mm-hmm. and, and problems that, that uh, crept up. Andre just kept at it, not in a prideful way, but just with the conviction that this was God, was what God wanted him to do. Right. And so um, I think those are the things that, that draw people to Andre. Uh, and, and who, how should I say this, who, who, who people can connect with, even during his own day. People said, you know, he's one of us. He's a Quebecois. Right. He's not some fancy Dan yeah theologian yeah uh, he's just this ordinary guy yeah and and that's a great uh a witness or model for mm-hmm. us who yeah uh, that ordinary ordinariness is, is you know patrick uh, that's one of the the the, the, the um, sort of the spirituality that i'd like to offer here the importance of the everyday in spirituality it's not doing great things but it's living our day day to day to day being the best kind of person we can, mm-hmm. and that's really the road to sanctity. That, that's good. To, that's a good uh, because people, if they go to Saint Joseph's Oratory and they might see all the crutches and all mm-hmm. that, and and maybe the focus on the healings, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the focus should be on the on the or, no, uh, ordinariness might not be the right word, but yes, no, it is the ordinariness of it all. You know, it's uh, today with the sensationalism in in the press. I think. We tend to even look at sensationalism uh, in, in let's say, uh, the, the saints, you know, yeah. and we look for the miracles and what happened. And to build your spirituality on miracles eventually becomes a shallow spirituality. Right. Um, I, I read the other day a, um, a quote from the, the uh, spiritual writer Frederick Buchner, and he said, a miracle strengthens faith. But faith in God is less apt to proceed from miracles than miracles from faith huh. in God. Yes, very true. Yeah, so uh, that's how I, I, I think. Um, and Andre, <laughs> he, had a, he had a very no-nonsense uh, approach to people. You know, he became so famous, even in his lifetime, mm-hmm. um, that hundreds and hundreds of people would line up every single day. Eight hours a day, people would be ushered through his office, and because there were so many, uh, he could only see each person for about two minutes. Right. And so today we would say, well, that means that Brother Andre couldn't pay much attention to them. In those two minutes, Andre was focused on people, Hmm. but he was no-nonsense. He knew he had to visit all these people, so they were ushered out. In fact, there was even a little bell. Bing! Really? Your time was Good over. timing? Really, exactly. That's great. That's how ordinary and, and matter-of-fact Andre was. Hmm. Uh, he wasn't um, a bleeding heart. Um, uh, I would say, uh, you know, when, when he was with people he knew, he was a jokester. He, was, he, he, he loved to uh, tell jokes. He was very playful. When he was with people he didn't know, he was kind of reserved. Right. And um, the reason, I think, was, was, was twofold, partly because religious in those days, that's kind of what they were taught, to 
um, be careful yeah, of, of, course. of uh, when you're dealing with lay people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Andre, when he was with people he knew, was, was a card. Yeah. And that was how the kids at the college used to give him haircuts hmm. uh, for five cents a, a cut. And he went to the superior and said, could, could I keep this money to help build the oratory? And the superior right. said, well, of course. But it was nickel by nickel mm. and, and more that, um, that, that helped build the oratory. But I think it was the, the children who loved him so much that drew attention of the parents. Mm. And, and they just streamed to him. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful and inspiring story, Father Charles. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, taking a little bit of your time to, to share it with us. You're very welcome, Pedro. And, and I'd be happy to talk again once we get closer to yes, the uh, for sure. canonization. That, w- that would be very good. Thank you so much. All right. Goodbye. Kay. Bye-bye. God bless. We've been speaking to Father Charles Corso of the Congregation of Holy Cross. For more information on Blessed Andre or on St. Joseph's Oratory, you can visit their website, saint Joseph. Join us every week for the Salt and Light Radio Hour as we bring you inspiring messages, insightful interviews, interesting commentary and music, plus news updates and Catholic events from across Canada. The Salt and Light Radio Hour every Saturday at 3 and 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific, Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. This is a special edition of Salt and Light Radio, and that conversation with Father Corso first aired in February 2010. Here now are the priests with How Great Thou Art. Oh
us How Great Thou Art, sung by the priests. Here now is an opening commentary from January 2010. Last Sunday, Pope Benedict released this year's message for the World Day of Communications, which will take place in May, May 16, 2010. This year's message has to do with the priest, the priest and pastoral ministry in a digital world. Very interesting. Of course, the message coincides with the year for priests. In a sentence, the Holy Father is saying that the priest's main job is to teach and preach the good news and in this day and age, this mission must involve new communication technology. Yes, he is talking about the internet, blogs, Facebook, and Twitter. I quote, Priests are thus challenged to proclaim the gospel by employing the latest generation of audiovisual resources, images, videos, animated features, blogs, websites, which, alongside traditional means, can open up broad new vistas for dialogue, evangelization, and catechesis. That's what Benedict says. The Holy Father goes on to say that this can only happen if, at the time of formation, priests are learning how to use these technologies. Now, does that mean that in seminaries now, alongside with theology and philosophy, priests will have to learn uh, how to design websites? It may sound a bit ridiculous, but it's not completely crazy. In fact, I would argue that most young men entering the seminary today are well-versed in the art of web surfing, if not web design, Facebooking, and Twittering. Most priests I know have a Blackberry or an iPhone, and many, particularly the ones working in youth or university ministry, can be found on Facebook. This does help them reach the young people they are working with. Let me give you an example, and this is one of my pet peeves. If you're a priest in a parish and you do not have a website, you might as well not exist. When I'm visiting a new town or city and I'm wondering where to go to Mass, I don't pull out the phone book. I go online. If your parish doesn't have a website, I just said it, you don't exist. And it has to be a useful website. I've been to parish websites that don't list Mass times or don't have the parish address or directions. So that's just one little suggestion. It means that parish staff need to know at least how to update a website. So it's a bit current. Nothing worse than going to a website in January and having the Christmas mass schedule still on the main page. So Benedict may be onto something. This message could have gone out 10 years ago, but better late than never. When Paul, St. Paul, went out to a new town, he went to where people hung out, usually the marketplace. Today, the world has gone digital and that's where people hang out. So that's where the church needs to hang out. To end with another quote from the letter, our pastoral presence in that world must thus serve to show our contemporaries, especially the many people in our day who experience uncertainty and confusion, that God is near, that in Christ we all belong to one another. Who better than a priest as a man of God can develop and put into practice by his competence in current digital technology a pastoral outreach capable of making God concretely present in today's world. So, to my dear priests, don't be afraid of the media. Embrace it, and you will bear much fruit. I'm Pedro, and this is Salt and Light Radio. That opening commentary first aired in January 2010. 
Here now are the priests with Benedictus. That was The Priests with Benedictus. I'm Andrew Santos, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Salt and Light Television, in partnership with Sony, presented a concert at St. Paul's Basilica in Toronto featuring The Priests, Fathers Eugene and Martin O'Hagan, and Father David DeLarghi, who, a little over a year ago, signed a contract with Sony to record an album of sacred music, an album that became the fastest-selling first-release album ever. The Priests have now released a second album, Harmony, and last Saturday I had a chance to speak with Father Eugene O'Hagan about it. Father Eugene, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you very much indeed. Wonderful so good to be here. Yes, no, good to have you here. Um, you, your brother, Father Martin and Father David, you, you, you're regular parish priests. Mm-hmm. How did this... this 
Sony deal, record deal come about? It was absolutely out of the blue, fortuitous you may say. Um, we have a long singing background uh, and it transpired that Sony had this idea of recording music from the old Latin mass. Uh, I think principally the idea came from Mike Hedges. Uh, he's the man who actually ended up being the producer of our, okay. of our album. Um, and they wanted to engage a priest for that purpose, to, okay. to chant the, the parts of the Mass on the album. seemed a very suitable thing for us to be right. associated with. Um, we were asked to, in a sense, audition, to audition, because we were told they only needed one priest. And um, our names, I think, Martin, mine and David's, kept, kept churning up uh, as mm -hmm. the scout was visiting uh, parts of Ireland, okay. listening to other priests and asking them to sing. Uh, to cut a long story short, we, we met in Belfast. Um, we sang, uh, both individually and together. That was passed down the line. A couple of days later, Sony representative through that scout came back to us and said, they're going to bank that other project, the project of the, the music from the old from Latin the mass. mass, and they would be interested in, uh, in pursuing uh, the possibility of making an album with the three of you, because they liked, they liked what they heard. Uh, the fact that we'd be, we were priests, we were, the fact that we were in our parishes, the fact that we were Two of us were brothers, uh, yeah. lifetime friends, uh, had a long history of music, and I liked the sound. Yeah, and, and it, it turned out to be a good idea because that album was very successful, if it can measure success in terms of sales. Yeah, yeah. And, and now you're on, you're, you went back to your parishes, you're back, back to being regular parish priests, but yeah. now we have a second album, so this is becoming yes, a habit. This is becoming a habit. <laughs> uh, we never in our wildest dreams did we expect that the album, our debut album, would be as successful as it actually turned out to be. It was a, you know, a wonderful experience making it, but then its release uh, was across the world, which is you know, unusual in itself. Yeah. Uh, when, when Sony initially signed us up, it was really a United Kingdom Ireland project. Okay. Yeah. And then it, it grew. Uh, the worldwide interest in it grew. And uh, that was, that's been a wonderful experience for us. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, uh, our profile, our, the music we make, the singing, uh, has reached a huge, huge audience. Yeah, no, it has been. Um, just a note I wanted to, to say for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. My name is Pedro, and I'm sitting here with Father Eugene O'Hagan. He's one of the priests. <laughs> Those are the three. I feel like I always have to explain the three, the, sing, three, the Irish priests. Priest, yes. But the priests is becoming a household name. Um, you're an Irish priest, mm -hmm. and I know some of our listeners are, are very familiar with the news that are coming out of Ireland and the church in Ireland, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I, I guess it's fair to say that it's in a bit of a crisis. Yes, oh, absolutely, um, yeah. How difficult is it as a parish priest right now in, in Ireland? Well, I suppose I'm... I'm the same as many, many parish priests throughout the whole island of Ireland, we've, we've been rocked, shocked, shamed by the reports that have come out of, uh, you know, the institutional investigation into care for, for young people mm -hmm. and vulnerable adults, and more especially recently, the report that came out from the Archdiocese of Dublin. Um, uh, you know, we, we've heard revelation after revelation of how there has been by some few priests, uh, an abuse of their of their position, the the trust that should exist between a priest and any person, uh, let alone between a priest and a young person, yes. a child who's vulnerable, and that has been the uh, terrible, terrible uh, shock to to the whole of society in Ireland. Uh, and um, put it this way, the, the one I think some good will come from this because <clears throat> victims who have suffered haven't been believed in the past, and now. With, uh, without doubt, uh, the church and the state 
in Ireland accept that what they have been saying all along is the truth. Okay. They, been Before that, they hadn't been believed, right. or they were dismissed, uh, which was a, which was a, only added to their pain. Mm -hmm. So uh, finally, I think uh, you know our thoughts and our prayers and our hopes of, of uh, reconciliation and healing go to the to the victims, uh, the many victims of the of this child abuse uh, scandal in the Irish Church. Um, Secondly, there's no room, we're clear about this, there's no room for offenders in the, in the life of the church, in the ministry of no, the church. No. And I think the Archbishop of Dublin has been absolutely unequivocal about that. And, and I think we, we all priests, all religious, all people must agree with him and share his thoughts and views on that. Um, it must be said, I suppose, priests feel a little bit let down. We're all, we're all ashamed. Mm -hmm. We're let down by those erstwhile colleagues. Um, who, who share with us priesthood, who, who have betrayed priesthood. I mean, it's a right. huge, huge, huge pain for, for, for the many, many priests and the many religious, uh, both male and female, who, you know, have been, who have been beacons of light and hope and uh, role models for so, so many people, including people like myself. That's yes, why I became a priest. Exactly. Because I, the people I knew, the priests I knew were wonderful people, yeah. absolutely wonderful people. And it was their example encouraged me to think about becoming mm -hmm. a priest. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy in priesthood. But I know the church in Ireland is going through a very, very difficult time. It will give us the opportunity to review everything. Yeah. And it, it will be a period, I'm sure, of repentance yeah. um, across the board. And uh, it will be a, a, a time of reviewing, you know, what is, what is uh, you know, essential and what is right and what is just for us uh, uh, in today's modern society and the world in which we live and what role the church has to play. It still has a very significant role to play. Yes. Unfortunately, I think people now tend to think that because this has happened in the past, there, is a, there are some voices, at least in Ireland, saying that the church should be pushed to the periphery of society, which is mm. the very wrong way of dealing with The church has, has given so much yeah. to society in Ireland over the years, and I think will continue to do so when, when, the, when things settle a little bit. Um, at the moment, we're concentrating on a very dark corner of the canvas. Yeah. But there's a bigger perspective there. There is, there and is. And the church has a, uh, the message of Christ mm -hmm. to, pre to present. And there are, there are wonderful uh, uh, voices that, re that present the gospel of Christ in the mm -hmm. Irish church today, and I'm sure across the world. That's true. I, lo I love the image of the canvas because in, in, in many ways, what you and Fathers Martin and mm -hmm. David are doing is Showing another well, part of the another canvas. Another part of the canvas. We, you know, I suppose there's that. It's, we're not doing this deliberately to counterbalance, you know, these revelations. It just so happens that, you know, the gifts we've been given in priesthood, uh, the gifts we've been given by, by God's grace, you know, the gift of music, is something that we can use and have used in all our lives. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll show, uh, you know, it'll encourage people who are thinking about vocations that you don't have to kind of shelve or put your, your, your talents and gifts you know, leave them outside the church. You bring exactly. them with you into the exactly. life of the church, uh, and they make you a full human being. And you, you add to the to the ministry uh, yeah. of of preaching the gospel and and, and witnessing to it yeah. in a very you know unfanatical kind of way, in an ordinary kind of a way, yeah. which is what we're all about. It's more authentic, I think, at the end of the yeah, day, if sure. it's presented like that yeah. rather than dressed up in something false. Yeah. And yeah. uh, anyway, the music we make, I suppose, maybe might encourage people to to realise that. You know, they're, they're, uh, take the focus off that corner of the of the canvas and realize that there is a bigger picture. Yeah, let's talk about about the music, or yeah. particularly about the second album, mm -hmm. Harmony. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love about it are the liner notes. 
Oh yeah, because yes. because and just so that our listeners understand, you not just tell us what the songs are, give us the song lyrics, but every song is introduced by one of you yeah. with some personal, some personal reflection on it. Maybe it's on the album uh, because indeed we've had a personal association with the song, uh, and that it kind of echoes with us, and that's one of the reasons why those songs have ended up on the second album as our choices, uh, songs we love. Yeah. Uh, we're not singing songs that uh, we, we don't like or, exactly. we, or that we've learned specially for the, for the sake of making an album. Yes. These are songs we, we love and that we love to sing and that we've got the chance to sing and that's a wonderful opportunity. Is there any one particular song that's in this album that is your favourite? That's, that that's a difficult <laughs> question. All 15 are my favourites in a sense. But if, it had, if I had to maybe uh, uh, answer that question, um, uh, I suppose maybe I could... But the Irish one, I like the Irish one that's on it. It's called Be Isa Imkrisa, uh -huh. and it's, a, it's in the Irish language, but it's a beautiful, haunting melody. You know, some of our Irish, many of our Irish yes. ballads and songs are, might sound a bit sad, um, uh, but, you know, it, it does capture something of the Celtic mystery and yes. mystique, you might say, and our deep, and more seriously, our, our kind of deep Christian spirituality. Um, because life is a bit of a struggle at times. Yes. Uh, however, the melody of this particular song, which kind of in its English translation says, may Jesus be in my heart and my mind and in my life, it gives us the courage to, to go on, yeah. even, even when things are tough. Yeah, so there you go, to, again to our listeners, that gives you a little yeah. sample. You might listen to the album and not hear Father Eugene telling you about the song, but it's written there in the liner notes, so that's a great bonus. Father, that's all the time we have. But it's been great talking to you. And great talking to you here on Salt and Light. Yes, thanks a lot. And hopefully we'll see you again when you come back to Canada, maybe with the third album. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might, get, we might get back to Canada. It'd be great to get back to Canada uh, before we make the third album. If, yeah, when, if we you're get not, that when you're not busy touring, yeah. just come for a visit. Just that come will be for lovely. a visit and maybe a concert. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks. If you want to know more about The Priests or how to get Harmony, visit their website, thepriests.com. And now let's listen to The Priests singing the song Father Eugene was telling us about, Be Isa in Krisa, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, in Gaelic. It means, Be Jesus in my heart, in my memory every hour. Be Jesus in my heart, with speedy repentance. Be Jesus in my heart, with everlasting fellowship. O Jesus, faithful in God, do not leave me.
And that brings us to the end of Salt and Light Radio. That conversation with Father Eugene O'Hagan first aired in December 2009. And uh, those were the priests singing Biisa Incresa. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Thank you for listening to Salt and Light Radio. Talk to you next week. <laughs>